before service started, and we've been praying for her son Cecil as he recovers from being trampled by a cow. Uh, I'm not sure that even I knew the extent of his injuries. He has 18 broken ribs and a broken sternum. I can't even imagine. I've never heard of anyone with 18 broken ribs. But it can't be fun. I know there was a time in my life when I had wrecked a car and I had four broken ribs. I tried not to sneeze for six weeks. (laughs) And so I can't even imagine the pain and discomfort that Cecil is going through. But let's pray for Cecil. Let's pray that the Lord will... We'll just minister to his need. Virginia, it's so good to see you here this morning. We've been praying for you, and we're going to continue to pray for Virginia Ray. Jake had successful surgery this week. Um, I know this is hard to believe, but it sounds to me like Jake's being a little contrary. (laughs) And uh, he really does need to eat to get some strength back. And... uh, uh, They're having difficulty getting him to eat properly. So let's pray for Jake. We're thankful that the surgery went well, thankful that the blockages were removed. Uh, But let's pray that in the process of recovering that everything will go well. We'll leave it at that. And uh, continue to pray for Larry Schartz as he recovers from uh, rotator cuff surgery. Uh, We especially need to pray this morning for... Courtney Valdez, Jeremy's sister, uh, has a very severe infection. She will be undergoing surgery tomorrow in Wichita. And so Courtney desperately needs our prayers. And uh, uh, just another quick request. Um, I think the harsh reality of things is setting in on our daughter. And and Trisha's had a difficult couple of weeks. And so if you would just breathe a, a prayer of comfort for Tricia, and I'm sure the same can be said for Ashley Stanley, who has lost her husband uh, a couple weeks ago, and both of them very young ladies, and so dealing with that kind of grief is just overwhelming, so thank you in advance for your prayers for that, and I know that there are a lot of people in our church family who are dealing with with, uh, respiratory issues and and flu-like symptoms, and we prayed on Wednesday night this week that the Lord would just... uh, Give us a community cleansing and uh, cleanse our community of all that stuff that's going around. You believe God can do that? I do. I do. And, of course, pray for our country. Uh, We need Jesus in America. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us and answering our prayers. Lord, we thank you so much that you've been with Cecil Uh, during these past couple of weeks dealing with these severe, severe injuries. And Lord, we're just thankful that it wasn't any more serious than what it was. But uh, Lord, he is going to have a long period of recovery. And so God, I just pray that you'd minister your love and your goodness and your healing virtue to Cecil and to his entire family. Thankful, Lord, that you were with Jake during his heart bypass surgery this week. And God, we pray that, that the healing that you have begun in his body would, would find its completion. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, put the desire in Jake's spirit, Lord, 
to do the things that are necessary to facilitate his healing. Pray for Larry, Lord, as he's gone through that second rotator cuff surgery on the same shoulder. And God, I can't even imagine all that he's dealing with. And we especially pray today, Lord, for Courtney as she undergoes yet another procedure. God, I pray that you would just uh, touch that infection and clear it, clear it up, Jesus. Make it possible for them to save those toes, dear God. And uh, God, I just pray that you would intervene on Courtney's behalf on so many levels. God, you know every situation. The antibiotics that, that treat the infection set off the Guillain-Barre syndrome. And God, there's just so many things working against each other. But we know that you, God, do all things well. And so we ask for your healing to be made known in Courtney's body. And Lord, we do pray for those that are dealing with grief. We pray, pray for Tricia and we pray for Ashley today, dear God, that you would just surround them with your peace. Uh, Lord, help them in the process of finding their new normal. And uh, God, we thank you for the many blessings that have come to both to Tricia and to Ashley. But uh, Lord, as we enter this holiday season, we know it's going to be very difficult. And, and so, God, we just pray for an extra measure of the comforting power of your Holy Spirit to surround them in a very special way. Lord, we do pray for our country today. God, we pray that you would bring us back to you. Help us to do the things that you've told us to do, Lord, that would facilitate healing to our land. And God, I, I pray that everyone in our church family on a daily basis prays for America, prays for our leaders, prays for our Congress. God, I just pray that you would, you would put it in our hearts to, to pray as never before so that we can see our, Amer our land, our, our America that we love return to you. And so, Lord, as we go through the furtherance of this service this morning, I just want to thank you, Lord, for everyone here today. Thank you, Lord, that we were able to get up and to come to church and to worship you and to enjoy the fellowship of one another. And God, we, we don't take that lightly, and we do appreciate that. And, and so, Lord, because we're here, send your Holy Spirit to minister to each of us in a profound way today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone but the ushers can be seated. Guys, if you would come, please. We are entering, as Dana mentioned earlier, Thanksgiving is almost here. My goodness, a week from, is it a week from this Thursday? Next, this next Thursday? It's Thanksgiving. And so uh, we are consciously mindful of Thanksgiving, particularly at this time of year. But, you know, it's, it's like I mentioned in my prayer. There are so many things in our lives that we take for granted. And I, I just want us to become consciously thankful this year for all the blessings that God has given to us. How many of you have God blessed in substantial ways? Amen. Lord, we do thank you for that. We thank you for your loving kindness, your mercy that endures forever. Your faithfulness, God, that is so unending and unchanging. And Lord, 
it's because of all of those things that we are so grateful to you for that we take joy in giving back to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with. And we give that in obedience, Lord, to what you have called us to be as stewards in your word. And so, Lord, take these gifts, multiply them to meet your needs, however big they might be, through the ministry of Trinity Faith Church in this community, surrounding area. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you everyone for your faithfulness and giving. We are in part seven of our sermon series today out of the book of Philippians. I've entitled today's message, Friends Make Life Fun. Would you agree with that? How many of you are glad for friends? Hallelujah. You know, last week we discussed the importance of, of patterning our lives or having role models whose lives we seek to emulate. And uh, you'll remember, if you were here last Sunday, or if you listened to the podcast, that I used the example of Benjamin Franklin, whose brilliance and desire to make a positive impression upon the world that he lived in changed the world. And some of those amazing things that Benjamin Franklin accomplished in his lifetime we enjoy today. And so his impact was, was life-changing, to say the very least. But ultimately, in that message last Sunday, we concluded that patterning our lives after Jesus is not only the only way, but the best way to be, to, to pattern our lives after someone. If we do that... Jesus is the only one out of all the great role models that we might choose from. He's the only one that gives us power to do what is needed to pattern our lives after him. The only one. He gives us his Holy Spirit that is continually working in us and cleaning us. And, and as we read from Philippians last Sunday, helping us to, for our salvation to work itself outwardly. Jesus alone provides that ability. So let me add to all that I just shared. And before I do that, I wanted, I wanted to make mention because I had a situation last Sunday. Jenny had left me a note on the, uh, the Uversion app that many of you use on your smartphone to, to follow in the notes. And she did this correctly. I don't know what happened, but I wanted to remind every one of you. Uh, on the Uversion app, there is a place to add notes under every point of the outline. Feel free to do that. In fact, I encourage you to do that. But in order for those notes or questions to get to me, you have to hit save at the bottom of the entire thing. So if you don't hit save, I'm not going to get the message. 
And hopefully, hopefully, I don't know what the quirk was last Sunday, but we'll get it figured out, and, and I'll be responding to those of you that may do that from time to time. But back, anyway, back to the message. Let me just add everything to everything that I shared last Sunday, the fact that we are living in a day and age um, in which trends are sought after to guide our future rather than people whose lives have inspired and motivated us. And it's my belief that the, the experiences of those who have excelled at this thing called life, this, that the best pattern for us to emulate our, in our lives is to do our very best to live like Jesus. You know, I, I gave you my sermon title, Friends Make Life More Fun, and as I was thinking about that, and, and again, this is a, an extreme makeover of a sermon series that I did 25 years ago, but I was thinking about it as I was putting this particular uh, message together a couple weeks ago. How many of you enjoy people watching? They're fascinating. <laughs> They're fascinating. Some of my fondest memories as a young child, and, and I know if we have young people in the service, and I know we do today, you're not going to understand what I'm getting ready to say. But back when I was a, a young child, we would go downtown on Main Street when Main Street was still Main Street, right? Or maybe I should say it this way, when Main Street was still the Main Street. And, and the, we, the reason we did that is because all the shopping, all of the commerce took place on Main Street. We didn't have malls. We didn't have Walmarts. We didn't have Targets. Uh, all, the, all the shopping primarily was done on Main Street. And as I was thinking about that, and by the way, we didn't have any Dollar Generals either. Thank you, Jesus. Um, not only that, but we didn't have five of them. <laughs> Seems like every town has four or five dollar generals. But anyway, that was in Garden City. And, and some of my fondest memories uh, would be when we, I would go downtown with my grandparents on a Saturday afternoon. And believe it or not, on Main Street at that time, it was difficult to find a parking. I mean, you may have to go around the block for 20, 30 minutes to find a parking because that's what everybody did on a Saturday afternoon. Even the farming community would come to town and do all of their shopping on Saturday afternoon. And let me just run a list by, you know what, I just figured out I don't have this on. Sorry, George. I'll bet that makes a difference. Uh, the only brain cells I have left are carrying out dead ones, trust me. <laughs> Some of us will have heard of these stores. Maybe a lot of you haven't. But as I was thinking about this, and this pertains exclusively to Garden City and its downtown shopping area back in the 60s. We had stores like Duck Walls. How many of you remember Duck Walls? Ben Franklin's, Woolworth's, Anthony's, J.C. Penney, McDonald's, 
not the, clo- not the food store. It was a clothing store. All were located side by side on Main Street in downtown Garden City. Quite likely, as I said, you may not be able to park nearest the one that you wanted to go into. You just have to find a parking and then walk. But the sidewalks were crowded with people. It, it, was, it was a phenomenon that many of you young people probably have never experienced. And, and that's just the mainstream stores. They're, I'm not even talking yet about the mom and pop shops. How many of you remember when we had mom and pop shops downtown? Uh, just a couple that came to my mind. And the, when I say mom and pop shops, that's local businesses that are started and run by people in the community. Garden City had a Pylons menswear. We had a Meshkis menswear. Uh, we had Schumann Hardware and General Store. Now, I'm sure not many of you remember Schumann, but the, rem- the th- reason I remember it is because my granddad was a good friend of Mr. Schumann. Now, when I'm talking a hardware store, I'm talking a store that was in- entirely little bins of stuff. And while my grandfather would go in there and visit with Mr. Schumann, I would find my way around that hardware store, finding things and looking at things that you can't even find anymore. I mean, we're talking horseshoes and and, and the nails to put with which to attach horseshoes. They had saddles. They had everything. I was fascinated by it. And then came the best part. We'd wind up back in my grandparents' car, and as I said, hopefully parked in the shade, and we'd watch people for the rest of the afternoon. People walking from store to store while my granddad and I were listening to the Kansas City Athletics playing baseball. Now you say, Kansas City Athletics? I thought they were the Royals. Well, not back then they weren't. They were the Kansas City A's, as we called them. And you could pick them up on 1240 KIUL. Those were good days. And the reason I'm sharing all of that with you is to ask this question. How boring would that experience have been, whether it's in Garden City or, you know, even Liberal had a great shopping area back in the 60s. My mom actually preferred coming to Liberal than, as, than going to Garden City to shop. But how boring would it have been in Garden City or Liberal when they had downtown shopping if there weren't any people to watch? People are fascinating. It would be difficult to imagine a world without people. What would our worship this, the experience this morning have looked like without people? It would have been boring. What would a home be without people? It'd be nothing more than just a house. People are incredibly significant to God. I'm in chapter 2 of Philippians. We're going to begin reading with verse number 19, where Paul writes these words. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. 
For I have no one like him who will, genuine, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, for, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that ye may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. People are significant. And that's really why God sent his son Jesus. Because people matter to God so much. That's why Jesus is one day going to return to this earth and take his people home to be with him forever. People are so important to God. And as sovereign and invincible as the God that we serve is, God needs people. He needs people. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you, when you do think about it, other than God's Word, we, the people, are the only eternal things left on this earth. Now, some of you who have aches and pains, as I'm finding more and more often, you may not feel so eternal this morning, but trust me when I tell you that you're an eternal being. And not only is, are, are people important to God, but so is eternity. The Apostle Paul, he, he spoke about the importance of people when he said in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, how then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Each of those questions that the Apostle Paul asks there in Romans chapter number uh, 10 has to do with people. The preaching of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people go hand in hand. God gets no glory from these empty seats. Have you ever thought about that? God gets no glory from empty seats. Do you know why? Because inanimate objects cannot respond to the urging of the Holy Spirit. But people can. So why is it then that people are so very important? Well, we already mentioned that one reason is their eternal status. 
people, all people, are going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. All people. And that, that choice of heaven or hell is entirely dependent upon the response of people to the message of Jesus Christ. Their response will determine which of those two places they spend eternity in. And contrary to the belief of many, I'm not one of those that believe that when we die, we're just going to dissolve into some kind of oblivion. I believe, as probably most of you, that it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in God, you are going to spend eternity somewhere. Somewhere, either heaven or hell. And yet another reason that people are significant to God is because God normally does his work through people. I've seen the bumper sticker, and I'm sure that you have too, that says prayer changes things, right? Now, we all know and, and agree that God can do anything with just a word. He, we, we know that he spoke everything that is into existence, so God can do anything he wants to, right? But in spite of the fact that God can change anything he wants with just a word, he primarily uses people to bring about substantive change in our world. And he uses people who respond to prayers that have asked God to make such changes. Now, again, I'm not taking anything away from God. I'm just saying that, yes, God can do anything he wants to. But primarily, he uses us. He uses us as his agents of transformative change. Now, if you don't believe that, let me ask you a question. And I want everybody to participate. How many of you could, by way of an uplifted hand, tell me this morning that your salvation was completely independent of any person, place, or thing? Let me take it a little further. In other words, no person, no mother, no father, no friend, no teacher, no preacher, no song written by someone, no sermon preached, no book that someone wrote or no track that someone handed out, no church had anything to do with you getting saved. I don't see any hands. Now, we know that there are miracles that happen. We believe in miracles, amen? But by and large, people minister to people. People then respond to that message that has been ministered. It, it, get the picture in your mind of God uses people like hands or like gloves use hands. If I were to have a glove up here, just a glove, that glove wouldn't be able to do anything, right? But if I put my hand in the glove then the glove becomes an extension of my hand. Think of people in the same way. We are God's extension. He, is, he, he desires to use us to accomplish his purposes. Now, if you were to study the Bible, and I know we have many of you that have probably read the Bible through and through several times, 
But if you were to make an outline of the Bible from the book of Genesis to the Revelation, did you know that you could do so just with people's names? Not, not events, not truths, but just dealing with people. Let me quickly do it for you. In Genesis, we see Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had 12 sons, and one in particular whose name was Joseph, who ends the book of Genesis. Then in Exodus, Moses and his brother Aaron are the subjects of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that brings us to a man named Joshua, who led the people of God into the promised land. And once there, the book of Judges tells us about people by the name of Deborah, Gideon, and Samson who served as judges. And then the book of Ruth gives us the story of a woman from a hated nation, Moab, who married into the Jewish faith and who journeyed into the land of Israel and became the grandmother of the great King David, anointed by one of those judges, whose name was Samuel. King David was the great psalmist, whose son Solomon then wrote the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And then due to the separation of the tribes of Israel, God appointed prophets at his, as his mouthpiece. And we find that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and then many others that were less significant than them... Until we come to the last one whose name was Malachi. And following 400 years of silence from God, we are told in the book of Matthew that God sent a voice crying in the wilderness. His name was John the Baptist. Again, not an, not an event, not a trend, but a man to prepare the way for the greatest man who ever lived, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. The four Gospels then, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, detailed Jesus' calling of 12 men as his followers, one of whom had the name of Simon Peter, who established the early church in the book of Acts. Two others who were of those 12 followers, their names were James and John, preached Jesus, and their preaching eventually had an effect on the life of a man named Saul of Tarsus whom we now know as Paul, who took the gospel to the Gentile world, who wrote nearly two-thirds of the rest of the New Testament, and who is literally responsible for untold millions of people who have come to know Jesus. And then you come to the book of Hebrews, and I still don't have an answer for who the author of the book of Hebrews is, and neither do any of you. And in that book of Hebrews, you come to a chapter number 11. I call it the Great Faith Hall of Fame chapter. And you read verse number 38 of Hebrews 11, and the writer speaks of men whom the world was not worthy of. Do you think for a minute that God didn't sanction the importance of people? upon the earth. People matter to God. You know, each of us here this morning can probably name individuals whose lives have intersected with our own that we consider the world not to be worthy of. Great men and women of faith. And I, I, I'm not talking about 
perfect people. I'm talking about people just like you and I. I once saw a bumper sticker that read this, if you're looking for perfection, look in the mirror, and if you see it there, expect it elsewhere. Good counsel. But what I've noticed is that every great man or woman who appears on the scene eventually has all of their flaws and failures pointed out by someone. And the message in that for us, I believe, is that we shouldn't wait for the perfect hero or the perfect role model. We live and we are going to continue to live in a day and age where heroes and role models will eventually get shredded. But God says that there are still people whom the world is not worthy of. And it's that thought that brings me to this conclusion concerning our scripture text in the book of Philippians chapter number 2. Paul, I believe, tells us about two men of whom the world was not worthy. They aren't mentioned in Hebrews 11. They didn't make the great hall of fame. Nevertheless, they were great men who were worth knowing. Their names were Timothy and Epaphroditus. i got to get my face up here so my phone can pick it up because I'm going to read my scripture from here. Now, if you go to verse number 19 where we started... Paul then begin, there begins to tell us about these two guys. They were men who carried his bags, administered to his wounds, affirmed his ministry with love, and who, who helped in the writing of these letters that Paul himself was unable to do on occasion. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, that we are to consider the interests of others as being more important than our own. Do you remember that? It's still there if you want to look at it. Those others that Paul was referring to were people. Not animals, not, not rocks, not flowers, not mountains, but people. Consider the interests of other people as being more important than your own. Now, if you can do this in your imagination, draw a line from Paul's use of that word others in verses 3 and 4 to verse number 19 and verse number 25. Because in those two verses, Paul begins to tell us about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who represent a part of those others. Let me first talk to you about Timothy for a moment. Timothy was a native of either Lystra or Derby, located in Asia Minor, where Paul had established churches such as the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica, and, of course, the church in Philippi. Paul met Timothy when Timothy was just a teenager. Timothy was the product, we are told, of a mixed marriage. And when I'm talking about a mixed marriage, his mother Eunice was Jewish. Who married, she married a Greek man who became Timothy's father. 
But evidently the Greek culture that came to that union from Timothy's father won out over the Jewish culture because we are told in Acts chapter 16 verses 1 through 3 that Timothy reached adulthood without having been circumcised as was required of the Jews. And then we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17, that Timothy was probably led to the Lord and discipled by the Apostle Paul. So, Paul was actually what we would call Timothy's spiritual father. He was the one who, who led him to the Lord. He was the one who, who, who helped him to grow into spiritual maturity and they became traveling companions. They journeyed to Philippi. They journeyed to Thessalonica. They journeyed to Berea. They journeyed to Corinth. They journeyed to Ephesus. And eventually, they journeyed to Rome, where Paul now finds himself writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And the reason that Paul mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus here is not only because this church, these believers in Philippi knew these guys, but more particularly, he mentions them because of the type of men that they were. Now, here's where I want your attention. Verses 20 through 24 tell us I lost my place messing with my phone. The reason that Paul mentions them is because the church in Philippi knew them. And verses 20 and 24 tells us why Paul selected Timothy to be a traveling companion. The first reason was because Timothy and Paul had a kindred spirit. In other words, they thought alike. I, I like to look at it this way, in this way. Have you ever known someone that if you began a sentence, they, could, they knew you well enough, they could almost finish it for you? Brenda does that to me all the time. I'm just kidding. I grew up with three guys, and we did everything together. Two of those guys I, I remained friends with into adulthood. The other one moved so far away, I haven't been able to continue that relationship as I would have liked to. But particularly two of them, one who has now gone on, but... The other one you know, Dwayne Skipper. We are guys that are, I would call, kindred spirits. We've been together for so long, we think alike. We, we respond in much the same way as the other one responds. We share a lot of interests. We, we're just solid. I, I mean, when you, when you think about friends, you have really close friends, and then you have casual friends, and then you have acquaintances, okay? I don't think that many of us have best friends that have kindred spirits. And when I say not many of us, what I mean is we may, all of you may have some like that, but those kinds of friends are few and far between in our lives. Does that, is that okay? You, they're, they're very few. That's what Paul and Timothy were. They were soulmates, that doesn't mean that they always agreed with one another. But in general, general areas of life, they had a kindred spirit. The second reason that Paul selected Timothy is because Timothy had a genuine concern for other people. You can find that in verse number 20. 
Timothy cared about other people and having a kindred spirit with Paul, that means that Paul cared about other people as well. We know that from verse 3 and 4. Let others, let each one of you esteem others as being more important than yourselves. If you want to know what first century Christians were like, drop the notion that they were saints. Verse number 21 tells us that they were selfish, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It tells us that those people in that generation were selfish people. They did not look out for the interests of Christ. And that brings us to the third reason why Paul selected Timothy is because Timothy, and this to me is the most important one, Timothy had a servant's heart. Do you know where those who have a servant's heart learn to have a servant's heart? They learned it at home. I say this because parents, if you want to work on any quality in your kids' lives, teach them to have a servant's heart. Nothing's more important. Don't treat them as slaves. Don't, don't abuse them. But teach them as Dr. Luke told, told us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Teach your kids that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving service rather than receiving service. Teach them to be generous. Teach them to share. Because as they do this, this with you as a parent, when they grow into adulthood, they will be generous and sharing with their fellow men. Remember, Paul and Timothy had kindred spirits. Paul was a servant first. Timothy became a servant because that's the way that he had been discipled. And, and the reason why I, I think this is so important, you know, one of the great rewards of, in life is seeing someone grow into spiritual maturity whose life <clears throat> was affected or nurtured by you, by us. I mean, nothing more, more gratifying and I say this not, not to brag, but I'm, I'm so grateful as I think about young people who were influenced by Brenda and I as their youth pastors back in the 70s and 80s. One of those young men that was in our youth group, and I, he was the type of, of kid that he just got on your last nerve. My mom used to say, I'm going to snatch you bald-headed. I wanted to snatch this guy bald-headed on many occasions. But he became one of the leading evangelists in the Assemblies of God. And he now pastors a church of more than 1,100 people in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know how. It had to be God. You know what I mean? But it brings a great deal of gratification to know that we had even a small part in formulating his life. Another young man whom we nurtured is now the pastor at First Assembly of God over here in Hugoton, Tim Singer. Young man who had no ministry experience whatever became my youth pastor as his first ministry assignment when we pastored in Independence, Missouri. 
That same young man is now the lead pastor at Oasis Church in Ulysses, a church of more than 400 in attendance in that small community. And Garrett will, will email me from time to time just to say, hey, thank you for pouring into my life. And I'm thinking, man, those guys are more successful than I am. Hey, the Apostle Paul said the same thing. Don't worry about that. that, that, that that's immaterial. Just enjoy the fact that you had an opportunity to, to sow into their lives things that have made them the men that, and women that they've now become. I, I kind of see that here as I visualize Paul beaming with pride as he's talking about these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I feel that, that, that same sense of joy when I think about those guys. So again, I ask you, did you know of someone in whose life You've given time and energy to build them into the godly men or women that they now are. And that brings us to Epaphroditus. We read about him in verses 25 through 30. And it would seem as I read those six verses that Epaphroditus likely was an older man. More, maybe I should say it this way, more seasoned than Timothy. When the church in Philippi heard of Paul's imprisonment in Rome. They wanted to minister to Paul's needs, but because of of distance preventing them from not giving them the ability to minister to Paul's needs personally, they picked out a man from among them and sent Paul a gift by way of this man named Epaphroditus. And not only did they send a gift with him, but their intent was for Epaphroditus to stay in Rome, to remain by Paul's side as a personal servant that could minister to some of Paul's needs even while in prison. Uh, you know, that tells us something. Um, Epaphroditus had to be pretty courageous. You know, given the charges that had been levied against Paul, his imprisonment, to even associate with Paul would subject Epaphroditus to the same risks of death that Paul was facing. They were kindred spirits. And while in Rome, evidently Epaphroditus, you'll notice I'm saying it a lot because I really like to say that name. It's so cool. Everybody say Epaphroditus. Don't you like that? Evidently Epaphroditus became ill even to the point of death. And he was aware that the news of his illness had filtered back to the church in Philippi. And that the believers there that had sent him originally to Rome were now concerned about him. And this caused him great distress knowing that the entire body of believers, you see, he couldn't just drop an email to them back in those days. He couldn't just text message them and say, hey, everything's cool. Communication wasn't that easy. And so he was distressed knowing that they knew that he was seriously ill, even to the point of death. And and so God, in his mercy, then healed Epaphroditus. And he spared both those believers and Paul additional sorrow. But Paul knew that it was time for Epaphroditus to go back to the church in Philippi because they'd been worried about him. 
They were concerned for his health. And so Paul likely sends this entire letter to the church in Philippi, this this book of, of Philippians. He likely sent this letter back with Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, excuse me. And Paul wanted to let them know that in spite of wanting Epaphroditus to remain with him, with him, that Epaphroditus had really completed the task that they had sent him to do. He'd been ministering to the Apostle Paul. He'd done exactly as he'd been asked. He didn't want any of those believers back in that church to think that Epaphroditus was a quitter and that he just came home on his own. He, he, he sent this letter with him, and verse 18 of chapter 4, if you move ahead to that, tells us that Paul sent him back with a tremendous testimony of all that he had accomplished while there. Now, I believe that there's something very powerful that's written between the lines of what we read here. If you notice in verse number 26, Paul is telling us that the reason he sent Epaphroditus home was because of being older and having become ill. He wanted to ease their concern and worry for their brother. I just shared that with you. But Paul came to the decision that he would rather give up the comfort of having Epaphroditus by his side than having the church in Philippi worry about him. Can I just ask a question? You may not see this here, but I did. Here's the question. If you were in prison, would you be concerned more about an Epaphroditus than you were yourself? If I were in prison, the uppermost thought on my mind was, how do I get out of here? That would rank just a, 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 a hair ahead of how can I make the most of this horrible situation I'm in. And yet the Apostle Paul took what he said in verses 3 and 4. Let each consider themselves, let each consider others as more important than themselves. He not only said it, but here he's demonstrating it. He's thinking of that church in Philippi and their worry about Epaphroditus. And he said, you know what? I'm going to send him home to you because I don't want you folks to worry unnecessarily. Paul unselfishly shows us that when when Epaphroditus went back to Philippi, that he was received with joy. Because Paul had encouraged them, when he comes home, listen to him when he speaks. Follow his leadership. The reason that I think this is important is because it seems to me that the responsibility of a leader is not to announce the importance of his own role or to to demand respect from others. The leader who has to continually remind people that I'm the boss usually isn't. Amen? In other words, if you have to continually remind people that you're the one in charge, you're really not the one in charge. The leader who is a servant leader lets his or her own life speak for their leadership and then leaves it to others to endorse or encourage great respect for their leadership. Holding someone in high regard does not mean that you boldly and blindly accept everything that that person says or does. What was it about Epaphroditus that was worthy of the respect of the church in Philippi? Paul tells them. 
He nearly lost his life ministering to my need. He nearly gave up his life to serve me in ministry. Now, it doesn't tell us what Epaphroditus became ill with. I'm intrigued by that, but we won't have that answer. But whatever it was, it was obviously a risk that nearly resulted in his death. Risking means exposing oneself to danger. To place oneself in a dangerous setting. In those days, as I said earlier, identifying with someone as, who was a criminal was a risky thing. It was equally as risky as ministering to someone who was sick. Whatever the risk was, Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life to help the Apostle Paul. And that brings me to this application. Every time you minister to someone in need, you are taking a risk. Every time. Your risk is running the risk of being taken advantage of. You risk being misunderstood. You risk becoming diseased yourself. You risk becoming ostracized by those who don't share your burden. Your willingness to take risks, however, is a willingness that's worth it. You are to be highly admired by the rest of us, because you give of your time, you listen to those who are broken, you help others work their way through difficult situations, and you help them miss the landmines that often are a part of their journey back to wholeness. You risk someone saying to you, you're a fool to waste your time on someone as hopeless as that. How do I know that? Because I've been told those exact words. In 2004, excuse me, 2003, when we were doing the prison church in Wichita, about this time of year we decided that we would invite the entire prison staff across the street at the work release facility to come and join us for a Christmas or holiday dinner. Uh, We were going to do turkey, the whole whole thing, and, and just minister to that entire prison staff that was in charge of keeping track of the inmates that we were ministering to. We wanted them to see what we were doing. We wanted them to see, uh, you know, what we were doing as, a, as an effort to try to minister the love of Jesus to these guys. And I'll never forget, the day for the dinner came. All of them came. We had a great turnout. Some of the guys came not only had dinner with them, but helped serve the, the prison staff. And, and I'll never forget in the middle of that dinner, or perhaps it was close to the end, the warden comes to me and she says this, you know you're not going to ever change any of these guys, don't you? And I said, yeah, I know, but I know one who can. And she just kind of scoffed at me. She just kind of made light of it because she'd become callous to the fact that anybody who'd done things like they'd done could ever change. Well, 
I guess I'm going to have to wait to hear what Jesus has to say about that when I stand before him at the judgment. Because I saw them change. Not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did through us. He ministers through people. Were there risks involved? Oh, I can't even begin to tell you all the risks involved. But it was worth it. So let me bring all this together as a close. Make it applicable to each of us. When God brings a soulmate, a Timothy, into your life, he expects you to cultivate that relationship. That is, nurture that relationship and feed that relationship so that it can be a, rep, a, a relationship that models the relationship that we, we have with Jesus. Uh, because he, if we... You've heard the saying, old saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what you want to do with those relationships. Live your life in such a way so that if they follow your example, they're also following Jesus' example. Because here's the deal, friends. If you follow me as I follow Jesus, we're both going to wind up in the same place. Amen? That's the whole point. Nurture that relationship so that you all both wind up in the same place. You invest in that person so that God's best becomes very apparent to others who know that person. In other words, when that person is seen, there is not only a resemblance of you in that person's life, but there, much more importantly, is a resemblance of Jesus that you both share. When God sends an Epaphroditus into your life, he expects us to respect them. Let them know how much you respect them for the great risks that they have placed themselves in. How much they're appreciated. When they minister to the hurting, the sick, the needy, let them know that you have respect for what they're doing. But most importantly... And, and hear this if you don't hear anything else that I've said. There's not just Timothy and Epaphroditus, but there's a third person that we've not named by model in this passage. And if you look at the Scripture verse again, Leonard, can you put that up there, the, the Philippians chapter 2? If you look at verse 19, can you go back to 19? In verse 19, in verse 21, uh, in verse 24, go to the next slide. Um, in verse uh, 20, uh, 29, and verse 30, there's another person mentioned. Did you see it? That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. When God sends His Son across our path, He expects us to receive Him. Have we all received Jesus? John says in his gospel in chapter 1, verse number 12, that to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. 
Now, again, let me wrap it up. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that in each of our lives we can relate to a Timothy who we, with whom we are kindred spirits? And we can respect an Epaphroditus who does the work of ministry and takes risks that perhaps we ourselves are not willing to take. We can relate to a Timothy, respect an Epaphroditus, but we miss the one who made those two guys relatable and respectable. We miss the one that links Timothy, Epaphroditus, the Apostle Paul, and the one that links all of those guys together and the one that links those of us who have received Christ together is that third person, Jesus. It's not the Timothys that will change us. It's not the Epaphroditus that will change us. It's the Lord Jesus. The one who loved us. The one who gave himself for us. Worship team, would you come please? Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for us. Lord, throughout the pages of this Word of God that we hold so dearly to our hearts. The thing that brings it all together from Genesis to the Revelation is you, Jesus. You're spoken of in the third chapter, the 15th verse of the book of Genesis. And over and over again, until we read that last verse of Revelation 22, which says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You're the one that binds us together. You're the one that makes us children of God. And if children, then heirs and co-heirs with you, Jesus. Lord, you've given a lot of great people across the path of my life. Men and women whose influence I, I think about often. I'm grateful for them, Jesus. Grateful for the impact that they've had upon my life. But I can't think of them without thinking of you. Because you're the link. You're the link that brings us together. You're the link that makes their impact upon my life valuable. Lord, if there's anyone in this service this morning that has not yet received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today that would be their day. I pray, dear Jesus, that you would not only let them know that you love them and that you gave your life for them, but I pray that you would place people in their lives who also know you, whom you love and have given your life for. And that together a, a link, link is made that will never ever be broken. 
The old songwriter said it this way, will the circle be unbroken? Lord, we, you have gathered to yourself a circle of people who, who have received you as their Lord and Savior. And we are now part of your family. Part of a family that's going to live in heaven with you forever and ever. And the only other alternative to that is not receiving you and living in that other place. And Lord, I don't know of anyone that really wants to live in that other place. And so, dear Jesus, this morning what I'm asking you to do is speak to every heart. And if they're not yet a part of that circle, that today would be their day. And if they are a part of that circle, pray that they're not the weakest link in that circle. Pray that they're not the one that if pressure comes and circumstances become overwhelming, that the pressure would potentially have the ability to break them out of that circle by being the weakest link. And so today, dear, dear Jesus, for those, I'm asking that you would send people into their lives who have modeled you and who can sow into their lives the love of Jesus. Nurture them. Grow them spiritually. Mature them, God, in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet, Jacob? Lead us in that song one more time as we dismiss. That's never failing. Everyone needs forgiveness of the Savior, hope of nations. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Bridge. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. 
Jesus conquered the grave, Savior, he can move the mountains, mighty to save forever, and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Amen Well it's a great day I believe we have 38 Christmas chi- Operation Christmas Child boxes that, That's wonderful That's much higher than what we had last year And I commend you for that. But what I what we always do, and I I want each of us to participate in this as best as possible. I want you to just come up here and stand in front. We're going to pray over these boxes. Yeah, there's toys, and there's all kinds of stuff in them for the kids that are going to receive these. And I, I, Belinda, do we know where they're going this year? Okay. Yeah, usually usually they target a specific area, so. They, they, as I said, they have toys, they have everything that the kids are going to enjoy, but they also have a purpose. And the purpose is to minister the love of Jesus to kids who may never have another opportunity to see the love of Jesus played out in tangible form. Yeah. Yes, in the, and wherever they're going, they've already decided that they have the language in there so they can hear the good news. Boy, it really makes what we read earlier in Romans chapter number 10 come alive. That we're preaching the good news. It's like we, are, we have an opportunity to go and to share the good news with them ourselves. Except we don't have to make the trip. Right? So I'm going to pray over these. And I want you to just extend a hand. That the Holy Spirit will accompany these gifts. Lord Jesus, so grateful to have an opportunity to minister your love in a a way such as this. And God, we may never see the faces of the young kids that get these gifts till we get to heaven. But Lord, I'm praying that when we get there, in a way that only you can do, we will find out one day that it was because of these gifts that that child or that adult is in heaven with us. Lord, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would strategically place these gifts in the hands of little kids, Lord, who are hungry for meaning and purpose in their lives. God, we send our blessing, and more importantly, we send your blessing with these gifts. Send them where they are needed the most, in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, be with us as we leave and go to our own places this morning. Watch over us and protect us and be with us throughout the course of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.